On Rare is a podcast developed by Bridge Bio to educate ourselves and the public about living with a rare disease. Since our guests aren't scripted and are free to speak their minds, their views and opinions don't necessarily reflect the views and policy of Bridge Bio Pharma. Now we hope you enjoy the podcast. Rare Disease Podcast produced by BridgeBio, a biotech company that focuses on developing treatments for rare diseases. On Rare gives us a chance to hear from the true experts, people living with rare conditions. I'm your host, Mandy Rorig, a member of the patient advocacy team, and I'm joined by my colleague, David Rintel, head of patient advocacy. Hi, David. Hi, Mandy. Always a pleasure to be recording the On Rare podcast together. Yeah. We are recognizing Rare Disease Day on February 29th by honoring rare siblings, people who have a sibling with a rare condition. We had three separate conversations with three incredibly thoughtful siblings. Marina, sister to Sammy, who lives with limb girdle muscular dystrophy type 2i. Michael, who has two brothers with Canavan disease. And Sydney, whose brother Sean lives with achondroplasia. Mandy, I'm really pleased that we're focusing on rare siblings. I think that rare siblings often go kind of unnoticed when we think about families living with a rare condition. When you have a a child or an adult who has a rare disease, a long-term medical condition, it just takes a lot of the attention of the family, and it's hard for other members of the family to consistently receive attention. I learned this early on because I had a close friend, Patricia Tellez, whose sister was very ill as a child, and she told me about many days she spent all by herself in a hospital lobby because in those days you couldn't go up to the room where your sister was staying and how really difficult that was for her. And being sensitive to that, I listened for stories of what it's like to be a sibling of a child with a rare condition. Now, this is necessity. People with long-term medical illness require more attention from their family members. No one is at fault, but it can be challenging for siblings. Also, it can be a wonderful thing for siblings. They tend to be empathic. They tend to understand what it's like to live with adversity, and uh, they often go on to help people in their lives, whether it be in their career or in their personal life. So we'll be listening both for the challenges of being a sibling and also uh, the benefits. Our first guest is Marina, whose sister Sammy lives with limb girdle muscular dystrophy type 2i, which is also called LGMD2i, that causes progressive muscle weakness and affects skeletal, respiratory, and cardiac muscles. Marina, thank you so much for joining us. Could we just start by you telling us a bit about yourself? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to share a little bit of my story and my family's story. I am 19 years old, and I am a freshman at Penn State University. And what is your first recollection of understanding that your sister had a physical challenge or a difference? What do you remember? So Sammy was diagnosed when she was two. I was only five, and I'm the oldest, so it was just the two of us. Since she was younger than me, it was normal that she wouldn't be as physically fast as me or as strong, so I didn't really know that there was a difference, but once they told me, they told me before they told her, I started to pick up on little things. We would do gymnastics together, and all the kids would be able to do a cartwheel or a forward roll even, and she would have much more trouble doing that. But I didn't really think of her as any differently because that was all I knew, really. Yeah. I was only five years old when 
I came downstairs one night from not sleeping. It just felt like the right time, I guess, that they sat me down and told me, you know, your sister has some difficulty. I mean, I would be lying if I said I remember the exact conversation. Obviously, I was five years old, but I remember them like being so upset and I was just like, okay. Like I was just like, I didn't really think that it would affect anyone or anything. I don't think that they told her until a little while after. So I had to keep the secret. Well, they had really trusted you. You're only five years old and they trusted you to know about her diagnosis before they felt like they were ready to tell her or maybe they waited for her to be a bit older. Um, I think they waited until she started asking questions as she got older and as she noticed things getting more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know Sammy has so many stories of just slowly realizing like physically things are more difficult for me than they are for my friends, for my sister. For example, one of her best guy friends who's still her best friend, one of her good friends today, he took her to homecoming this year. But in kindergarten, they were playing tag outside for recess and she obviously could not run as quickly as everyone else. Mm And he was running around and wouldn't tag her. And she's like, Kobe, I'm right here. Why wouldn't you tag me? And he was like, Sammy, that wouldn't be fair, would it? You know, he knew as a kindergartner, he knew that his friend, like she couldn't run as quickly. Another one, a quick one was we danced like our whole lives. Our mom was big into dancing as a child. I think there was this one dance move where they had to get off the ground without using their hands. They, They were like on their knees and would like they jumped up. And she couldn't do that. She kept using her hands and the teacher didn't know that she had MD. So she would say like, Sammy, don't use your hands. Like you have to just like jump up. And she was Mm -hmm. like, I literally can't. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I can't. And like she was looking around and every single other girl was doing it with ease. And that was one of the other things she noticed like, okay, something's going on here. So it, it kind of unfolded for her. And I'm guessing it also unfolded for you that Sammy was different and I wonder what that was like for you. Yeah, it was definitely sad. I don't think I fully really grasped it until I got older and more mature mentally, but also until I saw a more drastic difference in her abilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a kid, I was still like a mean big sister. Like I would still fight her, you know. I definitely did not go very easy on her despite like the situation. But I would say honestly over COVID, which was only what, four years ago now, feels like just yesterday but I feel like that's when she really started to decline just being in the house all the time not getting out and going to school she had two concussions over COVID from random fluke things there was a storm and we were sitting outside and an umbrella flew out of a table and hit her in the head like crazy things happen unrelated to her MD but every sickness she has it just takes her longer to recover so something like that just like impacted her a lot more than it probably would one of us and then once you get a concussion it's a lot easier to get a second and third one I think she had two or three in the span of like maybe two years mm-hmm. when you have a concussion you're in bed a lot and it hurt she really like rapidly declined on top of that she had a surgery to extend her heel cord I want to say so that her feet could be flat on the ground yeah. which is great but when you're laying in bed for two weeks because you had a surgery like just all those things combined really like progressed her disease a lot quicker that was just like the biggest noticeable difference and after COVID she almost didn't even go back to school because she was like I don't know like I kind of just want to do online school which would have been even worse for her Mm -hmm. that was definitely when I noticed the biggest um difference Mm -hmm. and I was like oh my gosh like 
scooter when we would go for longer walks and she stopped going upstairs to where my room was I would piggyback her or Mm -hmm. my dad would that was definitely the time that I noticed the biggest difference I would say it sounds like watching her develop increased challenges or decreased abilities has been hard for you oh yeah definitely I mean for the whole family yeah She was a freshman in high school when I was a senior, so we had one year in high school together. We were all so proud of her that she even went to high school because there was a time where she was going to do online. If she went to school, she wanted to stay at our private school because that's where all her friends were. It was a much smaller community. Everyone knew what she was going through for the most part. So um, I was so proud of her to even be able to go to school freshman year, and it was nice we had a year together that I got to like show her the ropes, but there were definitely times in school I would get a call from her or one of the teachers and like I had to help her up from the ground, things like that, which like being a freshman in high school is already so difficult. And so now like on top of that, having to worry about something like this. What courage you had to have too, Marina, like your younger sister, you see her struggling. You're trying to support her physically. Also suspect you're trying to support her emotionally. Did the two of you have a close relationship? Being in high school together was super fun. It had a lot of exciting things now that she's older so there were definitely a lot of things that brought us together I played volleyball and she was our team manager which was very fun and a lot of her friends were on the JV team so it was very fun she came to all the games she would um do the scoreboard or keep stats she she would always have a job so that was fun to kind of bring her in and even after I graduated this past year she was the manager again her sophomore year definitely things like that brought us together even we would walk in and of course she was like a little anxious a little anxious freshman and she would um like want me to walk her to her locker and then like we'd walk up together to mine or like to her first class like little things like that and I could drive so I drove us so sometimes we'd get breakfast in the morning before school or listen to music on the drive because it was a far drive so We'd go to some of the basketball games, like the bleachers have like pecking order, whatever you call it. Seniors get the front and then freshmen are all the way in the back. But of course, she didn't want to go up the bleachers. So she and like sometimes some of her friends would sit in the front with the seniors and they thought they were so cool. But really, it was just so she didn't have to walk up the bleacher steps. <laughs> but things like that. You're, you are her close friend. You also were like her social liaison, like you create an environment that was comfortable for her in a way that made her feel safe. She could trust you. Yeah, that was definitely the goal. Like, since I only had one year, I wanted to leave her, like, feeling much more confident. You are so close with Sammy and such an integral part of her life. How did that affect you when you left home for college? Um, It was definitely tough. I mean, Sammy is not... Her, like, way of showing how she feels is more through humor. So she'll be like, whatever, I don't even miss you. But, like, that means that she does miss you, you know, things like that. It wasn't as emotional. I cried, obviously. Like, I even, my senior year, had anxiety all the time just because I was like, who's going to call me next? Like, is she, like, because there would be, like, three weeks, no problems. And then all of a sudden, it's like she fell twice in one week. You know, things like that. You never know what's going to happen. And sometimes it's because she tripped over her shoe. Sometimes it's just because gravity, you know, it just depends. So I feel like now that I'm gone, it's like even more, who's going to help her now? Who's going to do this? But also... I'm not there, so I have to just trust that our school has such a great community, like people have helped her, and she doesn't even tell me if she does fall, honestly don't, wouldn't know, she's very independent, she doesn't tell my parents, the few times that she did fall and I'll come help her, like she's like, don't tell mom and dad about this, like, 
she doesn't want people to feel like she's a burden or people to worry about her because she is fine on her own. It's just, you know, those little things where she can't help herself as much as she would like to. And when she doesn't want you to tell mom and dad about it, what do you do? Do you keep her secret or do you tell them? It depended on the situation. There were a few times I didn't tell my parents also because for their sanity, like there's nothing they can do about it either. And it would just stress them out more. But if they asked me, I would tell them. So sometimes they'd say, have there been any recent falls lately? And I'll be honest about that. But I wouldn't come home and be like, Sammy fell today. Like, you know, because I also don't want them to go in her room and start asking her a million questions either. So it was just like that awkward, like Mm -hmm. you want to keep her trust and not upset her. But also like my parents needed to know at certain times because again, I wouldn't be there the following year to help with that. Like they would need to cover their bases in other ways, I guess. You have to have the trust of your parents to support Sammy when she needs it, but you also have to have Sammy's trust. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of in the middle of balancing (laughs) both Marina. Yeah. your love and caring for Sammy seems so great. Like, what's what's a moment that you think of when you're, you know, missing her? Um, This is, like, not as sentimental. This is more just, like, oh. We have had the worst luck in hotels with the alarms going off. When I tell you that we have probably had five or six instances where in the middle, at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night, the alarm is going off in our hotel and we have to go down the stairs. We were at a volleyball tournament one of my volleyball tournaments and it was farther away. So we were in a hotel, of course. And it was just my mom, my sister and me. And we were probably on like the 15th floor. We were so high. And what do you know? Again, the alarm goes off the night before where I had to get up at 6am for an 8am game. I piggybacked my sister down like 10 flights of stairs. Thank God there was not a fire. And going down is, it's less strength, but it's almost harder because it's like you could go forward at any moment. I don't know. It was, it was like six flights of stairs. I was like, mom, can you, can you do one here? And she tried and she was like, Marina, I'm going to fall. Like, she was like, I literally can't, I literally can't do it. You have to do it. She'll always say that. She'll be like, you're stronger than me. Like you do it. I'm like, that has happened to us so many times. But this was the one time my dad wasn't there and he obviously can do it with ease, like much better than my mom and I can. So that is one thing that sticks out in my brain. And poor Sammy, of course, felt awful about it too. But people were coming behind us. Like, you never know if there's a fire until you get down there. One of those frustrating times where, like, you can't do anything about it. You just got to go. Then three hours later, my alarm went off to, to, like, get ready for my games. But That's a great story, Marina. You tell every story about your relationship with Sammy with so much love. And you take a lot of responsibility for her. Most families where one of the child has a medical condition, just out of necessity, a lot of attention needs to go to the child with a medical condition. And sometimes the other kids receive less attention. And it's not something anybody wants. It's just something that is necessary. You've kicked in so much. And I think that's really been a great help. But I wonder if there are moments that you feel like the family's organized around Sammy's needs. What, what do you think? I think my parents do like the best job that they possibly can, giving now three of us because we have a little brother who's eight. I think sometimes it's honestly the opposite because when I was playing volleyball all the time, Sammy was getting dragged to all my games and she didn't have a role. And I think she enjoyed going to the games, but after a while it's like, 
okay, I've just watched four games in a row for a tournament. Like, I'm, I'm good to go home. And, you know, now that I'm gone, it's Brandon, our brother. He's playing basketball. He plays football. He plays soccer. So I feel like it's honestly opposite sometimes. But the biggest time that I can remember was when my sister had her scoliosis. She had, like, an insane, almost 90 degree curve. And she had to get a surgery to make it straight. It was, she was in the hospital for three weeks. It was between me, my dad, and my cousin Abby, who also lived with us at the time. The three of us taking turns taking care of Brandon, the baby. And there was one time after like two weeks that all four of us together, my dad, Abby, me, and Brandon, and we're like, what's that smell? Like, what is that? It was Brandon. The The three of us in two weeks had not bathed him once. <laughs> like, not one. It was him. Like, he smelled so bad. No one was worrying about him. Like, we were watching him, but we weren't, like, taking care of him. Like, it just was the least of anybody's concern. It, it was crazy. We were like, I, I haven't cleaned him. Like, I haven't. So, he definitely got neglected at that time more than anybody else. It was also during COVID, so I couldn't even, I wasn't allowed to go in the hospital. You know, it's very hard to share the focus of the family when the focus is on a child in the hospital. It sounds like Brandon survived. He's still around, right? Yeah, barely. Um, what do you think people should know and understand about siblings of someone with a rare condition? I feel like we're just naturally more compassionate people. I feel like I will notice things now, even with others, that I other people don't notice, if that makes sense. Whether it's like a physical thing or just someone being left out, I feel like I can spot that out more than like other, some of my friends, definitely partly because I've been doing that my whole life with my sister. My school, since it's a private school, kids would shadow, come shadow before they decided to come to our school. And I was always the person that would get shadowed for the day just because I feel like I can look out for the underdog or the person that is new or doesn't know what they're doing, really. And I feel like that definitely correlates to having a sibling that I'm looking out for and that I'm like, it's always in the back of my head looking out for her. I would say that's like the biggest thing that can differentiate us from just the average person. Yeah. You always keep an eye open for what's going on with your sister. Yeah, I mean, we all take our turns. <laughs> Rena, thank you so much for joining us, the On Rare podcast, and sharing your life and your experience. I, I enjoy it, so. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Marina is an incredible young woman. She is so inspiring. Rare siblings take on a lot of responsibility. She helped to get Sammy so she felt comfortable in her school. She loved her as a sister, but she also took a lot upon herself to make sure that she had what she needs. And really the only downfall and what really hurt her most about having a, a rare sibling is having to unfortunately watch the progression of this condition um, to the sister that she loves so dearly. Mindy, I, I completely agree. I think the important takeaway is how there is one overarching emotion and it's love. That doesn't change when your sibling has a rare condition. Marina just loves Sammy. I'm going to guess that it's probably hard for her to be away at college now when mm -hmm. she was such mm -hmm. a, an essential part of Sammy's life. Yeah, Marina's love language is certainly her ability to care and be with her fabulous sister.
If you want to learn more about LGMD2I, we have three podcasts that focus on LGMD2I. Recently, we spoke with Dan in episode 20 about his experiences. So check it out. Our next conversation is with Michael, an incredible 13-year-old boy who has two brothers who are living with catavan disease. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Would you please tell us about yourself? Well, I'm 13 years old. I live in New York, and I'm the brother of two children with Canvan's disease. So tell us more about your family. I have three brothers, two sisters, and we all live together in a small house. Mm -hmm. I'm in eighth grade, and I'm very interested in technology. Favorite? Subject in school? One of my best subjects in school is math, as well as science. It's very interesting to me because it shows me how the world works, and also I'm starting to learn genetics, which could also help me learn about what my brothers have, for yeah. instance. Yeah. Math and science is good preparation for learning more science and genetics. Pretty complicated and also very important since Canavan disease is a genetic condition. So before hearing more about your brothers and family life with Canavan disease, can you tell us what you understand about Canavan disease? Okay. So my understanding of Canavan's disease is it has to do with it stops the development of white matter brain cells that links into motor skills, development, just general controlling your body. That's good, Michael. So you already know some science about Canavan and how it affects people. So let me ask you about your two brothers with Canavan disease. How old are they? My brothers are six and seven, and at a young age, the older of the two, he wasn't developing properly. We tried to find out what was happening to him for a long, long time. And about a year old, we found out that he might have Canavan's disease. We got him screened. We started doing physical therapy. And after a little while, my mom realizes, you know what? There's no need to wallow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what about your younger brother then? My younger brother, we no started to notice it after about three months. He was found to have Canvan's disease. Even with all the challenges that he has, he's a very lively kid. Both of them don't really have the ability to move, and they don't develop the same. So throughout their life, they almost all the time, they have physical therapists coming over to come and help them. They're always learning. They go to school for special needs children. They also do therapy there. The younger one, he tends to be very physically active, still has almost no fine control, mm -hmm. but he's very active. He'll try and make noises to talk to you. You could see he's very much there. That was also something that we faced. When people come over, for instance, their paras, their therapists, if they're new, they don't really see them as being fully there mentally. So that was also a challenge because they're always trying to communicate. They're always trying to just be in the moment. They love music. They laugh. They have a good time. So they both have real limitations physically in terms of their ability to move. And I'm guessing they use a wheelchair or some kind of device like that, right? Yes. The ability to use their 
bodies intentionally as limited, that sometimes makes people think who don't know them that they may not be able to understand what's going on or enjoy things in life. And I think you're saying they do understand, they attempt to communicate, and they clearly have things that they enjoy, like music, etc. Correct. You know, with any kids with that level of however you want to say it, disability, they need a lot of care and probably have a lot of medical appointments to go to. And as you say, they have therapy and et cetera. It must take a lot of the energy. And I wonder what you feel like the impact on your family has been. Well, I've found generally it's much harder to get out. It's much harder to just to do anything outside of house. We want to go to the aquarium. It's very hard. It's enjoyable, but it's hard. I do say that some upsides. Along the way, I've met many caring people, kind people. I have made a lot of friends. So one of the positives in a very challenging situation is that you've met very many good and kind people. Yeah. I was wondering if you felt like it has had an impact on you, that it helped you understand people better, or if other people would say something like that about you. Yeah. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be who I am today without it. I've learned from all the people that I've met. They've all been caring. They always make sure that I'm, for instance, when my mom is busy with paperwork, they talk to me, they tell me what they're doing with Bay and Josh, and as any person would, I learned from that. I became a caring person. I learned how to interact with Bay and Josh better beyond just going pick the right hand if you want this or pick the left hand and i know how to make them laugh i just help them enjoy life yeah i wouldn't be who i am today without these challenges and these upsides of having brothers with canvases good thank you that's amazing You're the oldest child in the family, right, Michael? Yes. So as you're talking about, you know, your mom doing paperwork and et cetera, do you sometimes take on responsibility for your brothers or actually for any of your younger siblings? For my brothers, I I can't really help with the medical stuff or feeding them, but I can watch them, I could talk to them, I could keep them entertained if they get upset, and I enjoy it. Gives me someone to interact with. Gives them someone to interact with. Mm -hmm. And I could get them involved in games. I could get them involved with my other siblings. My brother and two sisters are, well, toddlers. Just as difficult as Bang and Josh without the paperwork. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes my mom could be busy and she has to... A lot of times she has to go and get stuff for Bang and Josh, or she has yeah. to go and sign some paperwork somewhere. And we won't have so many people home, so I'll have to help. Sometimes kids who have a sibling or siblings with serious medical issues, and Canavan certainly is that, feel like so much of the attention of their parents and families is directed towards their siblings or their brothers with a medical problem. And I wonder if you have felt that at any point. This is not about anybody making any mistakes. It's just a fact of life. Well, when I was a kid, I would always be asking my mom, can you build Lego with me? Could you read a book with me? Can you play a video game with me? She still says no to that, but... (laughs) And I would say, hey, mom, 
why don't you go and get some help? And she said, I do have help, never enough. Yeah. So I eventually learned, you know what? I just have to deal with it. I have to learn. She also went back to school to become a nurse. So that puts more work on her. She can't be with the kids as much. She's always exhausted. Your mother is an amazing woman who, with young children in the house, two of them with Canavan, one of them a teenager, and she is still going to nursing school. It's really impressive. You've had to learn to live with a situation where your brothers with Canavan disease just need a lot of attention. Now, you seem to have turned out very well. So what do you think is the key to turning out very well when you live in a situation where two of your brothers have serious needs that need to be addressed by your parents? Well, I don't know how I did it. What I did was generally I would focus on something. I would try and achieve a goal or I would occupy myself. I live very far away from my school. So it's not like I could really have anybody come to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael, you learned how to manage and be okay. Yeah. But you also really contributed in your family by helping to look after your siblings. You've actually done really a lot in a situation that has not been easy, but yet you're a thoughtful, caring person, kind of probably like the people who are good and caring that you've met through your brother's illness. I'm still learning. It's been a long journey, still is, and I still have with parts where I get frustrated because it's difficult. Yeah. So people will be listening to this podcast, which features you and other siblings with someone with a genetic condition. What do you think people ought to know and understand about the siblings of kids who have serious long-term conditions? What is it that people should understand? Well, generally, I myself am very closed off, and I've tried to fix it, but I never really had a normal household life. And sometimes you're wishing for it. So generally, if a sibling just doesn't seem very... Even if they look okay, not always okay. Mm -hmm. Having siblings with a rare disease really does have a big impact both on you and on your family and I think you're saying that often you may look okay but sometimes you're not feeling that Uh, way. Yeah. I think most of us wonder why things happen the way they do. You've probably met other families where they have a child with Canavan and your family has two and that's very challenging. What do you think when you ask yourself well why did this happen to my family? Well I would think about like oh why me but then I think about you know what? What's for what's for reason? I'm a very science believing person. I just say genetics. Michael, you have been amazing. We are so appreciative. Really given us a lot to think about. Very pleased to hear your story. I just have one last thing to say. You might always hear about the bad things on all of these diseases and all the children with them, but the truth is. It's what makes a person unique, and and it adds a little spice to life. Beautifully said, Michael. Thank you. Amazing. (laughs) 
certainly Michael and his family have challenges. Michael spoke about how difficult it was to go to the aquarium and even simple outings can be really difficult. But really what I loved most was hearing how Michael interacted with his brothers. Um, Michael's a wonderful young man and it was really a pleasure to hear from him. Mindy, I'm taken by how Michael has made it his business to learn about Canavan disease and to learn genetics. I It sounds like he's thinking about ways that he could be helpful to them. I think he's really uh, appreciated how much he's learned from his life situation. And uh, I love how he says, I wouldn't be the person that I would be today if not for my brothers. And uh, there's also (laughs) a comment that I love, which is that the toddlers are also very challenging, just like toddlers are, but they have less paperwork. So uh, (laughs) he's a great example of both talking about the challenges, the positives, and also just that He's uh, learned to do a lot of things on his own out of necessity. He gives us a wonderful picture of family life with two children with Canavan disease. If you're interested in learning more about Canavan disease, listen to episode nine with Cliff and Noreen as they discuss their experiences and their life with their delightful son, Dylan. Our last conversation is with Sydney, whose brother, Sean, lives with a chondroplasia. The genetic condition, it's the most common type of skeletal dysplasia and also the most common cause of dwarfism. Sydney, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a a bit about yourself? So hi, I'm Sydney. Thank you guys for having me. I'm a sophomore at the University of Tampa. I grew up in Iowa and I have three brothers. One, Sean, who you'll be hearing a lot about. He has a form of dwarfism called achondroplasia. And then I have two other brothers. I'm actually a triplet. So it's been cool to kind of grow up with the two of them and then have Sean as the older one and being the role model. So thanks for having us. Sydney, I'm from Nebraska, so we're not too far from each other. The Midwest, the best. We're Midwestern, yeah. <laughs> you have some a couple of very special things about your family. You're a triplet, and also your older brother has a contraplasia. That is quite something. Yeah, it's cool. It's been interesting growing up. The three of us are extremely close, so kind of Sean was almost kind of like an outlier in high school. We kind of got closer and kind of matured, and now that we're uh, he's graduated from college, but I'm in college, we know from a distance we care about one another extremely. So how much older is Sean than the three of you? He's about four years. When do you think you first became aware that there was any difference between Sean and other kids? Yeah, I would say probably like kindergarten-ish. He's obviously not tall. He has a form of dwarfism. Growing up, he always wanted to play sports, baseball, football, uh, wiffle ball, you know, anything in the backyard. He'd always put his mind to it. And just because he has a rare condition, it doesn't mean that he's different from anyone else and people shouldn't look at him differently. So he wasn't going to let his height or his achondroplasia stop him from doing the things that he wanted to do. Exactly. He always has a saying, it's heart over height. Um, 24 seven. So that's lovely. I imagine that uh, at some point, maybe not kindergarten, because kids are kinder in kindergarten, but at some point, other kids would say, well, what's with your brother? Why is he short? Do you recall that? Yeah, honestly, growing up in the Midwest, I feel like I didn't have to deal with that as much. You do see people, you know, kind of stare. But when I've been around him, I've never heard someone say like, oh, you're so short, blah, blah, blah. Like people do give him looks for his scars. But really, I think it just comes down to curiosity. And, you know, once I explain he has a form of dwarfism, people kind of understand and come to realization more about it. Yeah. What about the surgeries and the scars? 
Yeah, so he's had 22 surgeries throughout his life. He's 23 now. So he basically did a bunch of surgeries for lengthening purposes. Um, he stands at five foot one right now. If he didn't have any of those, he would be around three feet 11 or so. Mm -hmm. He's had lengthening for his legs and his arms. And I actually got to experience one of them when I was in third grade. I had a tough time leaving my mom. And it was towards the end of third grade. And he had to go down to Florida, which is where he got all of his surgeries done. Um, I was really struggling at school, just being with my dad and only my brothers, and I really needed my mom back home. So I completed third grade two weeks early, and I went down to Florida for the summer with Sean and my mom. He was having one of his lengthenings done on his legs. And when I got there, you live in like a Ronald McDonald house, you know, everything from um, other kids having one leg shorter than the other, different and rare conditions. And so I kind of got to see firsthand what it's like for Sean to go through one of those surgeries. And I'll say ever since that summer, like I completely like look at him differently and like he's insanely strong and brave. Like the things that he's gone through is crazy to me. Um, as a third grader, you know, you kind of don't understand everything, mm. but seeing the pain that he was going through and my mom going through at the same time was hard. And I just kind of mm. tried to be their supporter and be there by their side, whether it was going on a walk or going to the beach, um, helping him with therapy, or I would give my mom massages because she would have to carry him a lot. So just kind of doing the little things and trying to be there for him. He's really an example of resilience, of you know, having to go through all these procedures that I'm certain are very painful, uncomfortable. Uh, you saw a lot of strength coming from him then, which is really memorable. Tons of strength. You also saw a lot of attention needing to go his way, particularly by your mom. You know, sometimes people who have a sibling with a rare condition, sometimes they see that their sibling gets a lot more of the family's attention and resources. Yeah, I would say from my perspective, I definitely had that um, thinking and I was not necessarily jealous, but I was like always thinking Sean gets whatever he wants. He gets this, he gets that, he gets clothes, shoes. Sometimes it would irk me as a as a young kid. I just didn't realize, you know, sometimes when he's going through all of that, he really needs, you know, those gifts or the, those new shoes or whatever. Now growing up, I kind of realized, you know, he deserved that. I couldn't say the same for my brothers. I don't really know what their thinking was back then. I was definitely the more um, stubborn child, the one that, uh, you know, kind of um, dealt with this a lot differently than the two of them. Um, I did rely on my mom for a lot of things. And so um, her giving all the attention to Sean, I would think, I don't remember everything, but I, I do think it probably impacted um, the way I felt about him. Thank you, Sydney. That is very interesting. I think what you're saying is that when you're young, you viewed the differential treatment of Sean, just like kids view what their siblings are getting. And there's a kind of like measurement. My sister got new shoes. Why didn't I get new shoes? I mean, I think this happens in every family to some extent and it felt unfair. And you also noticed that your mother would be away with Sean quite a lot and you missed her when she was away. So in a way he was getting more of your mom than you were, which is probably much more powerful than any pair of new shoes. So how did you deal with it, you know, at the time? Um, at the time, it was extremely hard. I know, you know, sometimes my grandma or we would have people come stay at the house and I called them almost like every hour saying, when are you coming home? I miss you. When are you coming home? I would like lock myself in the bathroom and just call them and call them and call them. So my dad had a gave in and he was like, Sydney, we're here with Sean. Like, it's a really tough time for him. We need to be here for him. We'll be home soon. 
And so I know I impacted Sean because she's locking herself in the bathroom. She's upset. She's sad about this. But in the meantime, he couldn't change what he was doing. It was it was hard for me, but I know now as a 19-year-old, it was all worth it. And I know he wouldn't change anything. You know that it was painful to Sean to have the surgeries, but it was also painful to have your parents away so much. Looking back, you understand it is a necessary thing for your family to put that much attention and resources into Sean. I'm super proud of who he's become and he's moving his way up in his job and he graduated college and he's just putting the mentality behind that he's small, not having as long arms or as long legs, like he can't do everything that other people can and he's found his way and he's found his passion for CrossFit and he's made it on the world's fittest dwarf championship, which was really cool to see. It's very heartwarming just to see him, him in his element. He found a sport where his uh, height was much less of a factor. So that also sounds really adaptive. Yeah. Yeah. He's found his community within the CrossFit. Wow. That's cool. One question. How has Sean's life impacted your life as you move forward into adulthood? Yeah, I would say when I'm out and, you know, you see people with like rare conditions or people that are different than us and someone like makes a comment about something and I'm always the first to say like hey guys we're not going to say that or if we do see someone with dwarfism I kind of point them out and be like hey like it's cool to see um, others than just my brother deal with the same thing and kind of find their passion find their community and find what they should be doing in life. So having Sean as a brother has made you much more sensitive and understanding of people with uh, various medical conditions and also other kinds of differences. Yeah, I'm very aware of all of that. It hits me harder um, than I'm sure other people do just because growing up, I did have to see Sean grow through all of the pain and everything that he's gone through. So it's definitely a lot more heartwarming. Sean, if you're listening, you've had a really big impact on many people. Everyone loves him. Everyone's like, oh, I want to talk to Sean. I want to be with Sean. So the, the community loves him and I love him. And, you know, he probably doesn't know that I don't tell him that much, but he is one of the people that I look up to, especially with um, what he's doing after college. And I realized that if he can do it, I can do it as well. I was just going to ask you what you love most about your brother, but I think you kind of already said that. He has a big personality and I know he's the most loving, compassionate and caring for a person. He has a big heart and that's what matters. What do you think he would say that he loves most about you? Oh, it's a great question. I would say um, probably I also have a big heart and I'm always doing things for other people. Growing up with my mom being gone a lot, I would take care of my brothers, make them food, um, just kind of be like the second mom in the house. I took care of him a lot too when he was going through all of his surgeries. That's probably what he would say. My family has a big heart because of Sean. We were talking to another rare sibling named Michael and I asked him, how having his brothers changed or shaped his life. And I wonder if you would tell us how having Sean as your brother changed or shaped your life. Yeah, Sean changed and shaped my life in a big way. He's changed the person who I am and um, kind of my mentality on things. It's always, like I said in the beginning of this, it's heart over height 24-7. And I think that really is um, a great example of who Sean helped me become. Well, Sydney, thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. I feel your experience of having Sean as a brother has been really positive. It changed you, changed your life. You know, I think that's one thing that is true about having a family member who's living with a rare condition. It can be really, really difficult, but also you learn a lot from the experience and you can gain a lot from the experience. And you're a great example of that. 
Thank you. Yeah, I've learned a lot from Sean and just being by his side 24-7 when he was going through all of these things made me realize um, someone's personality and heart is a lot bigger than what they look like on the outside. And I think he's a great example of that. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate you so much. Oh, I loved hearing from Sydney. She really shared the evolution of what a sibling living with a rare condition may experience when she was younger. She locked herself in her bathroom because she missed her mom and craved for her mother's attention while she was away caring for her brother. But over time, as she really recognized how strong and inspiring and how that has shaped who she is today, um, I especially love heart over height 24-7 is a mantra for their family and Sean's life. I really loved heart over height 24-7, and I'll, I'll quote Sydney as often as I can. I think it's a great mantra, as you say. Mandy, our conversation with Sydney really has the elements that we we're talking about that are true for all of these three siblings, which is a great deal of love for their siblings with rare conditions. These young people are incredibly resilient. They demonstrate that living with challenges or adversity is not only not harmful, but it is the cause for a lot of growth. I'm really glad, David, that we spent this time with Marina, Michael, and Sydney. We learned a lot about the rare sibling experience, their incredible resilience, their empathy, and um, how they would not be the people that they are today without their incredible sibling. I hope that we remember the great love that each of them has for their brothers, brother, and sister. Thanks to all of our rare and remarkable siblings. It was truly an honor to speak with each of you. To learn more about the Rare Sibling Experience, visit Courageous Parents Network at cpn.org. If you have any questions, comments, or want to reach out to us about anything, write us at onrare at bridgebio.com. A special thanks to our producer, Amy Brooks. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Thanks for listening and join us for our next conversation on Rare.